Welcome to Black Imagination, where Antoine and I open up our black space to our black and brown friends doing dope things in Milwaukee's arts and culture scene. Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE podcast network. So go get out your sage sticks, light some incense, and join the conversation. Be sure to follow us at Imagine MKE on all your favorite social media platforms and subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, here's the show. Welcome to Black Imagination. This is Antoine, and I'm here with my co-working BFF. Yes, we are co-working BFFs. We are not yet at the place of like work spouses. I don't know what the trend, what the level is to get there, but I'm, I'm loving this BFF energy. Hey, everybody. I am Kenita, Antoine's BFF at work. Yes, and we have another dope guest another black woman because we are in a series of just listening to black women i don't know what the name of this series is but it should be like trust black women boom there we go there we go the trust black women tour continues um as we and if folks just want to adopt that as a personal mantra like you should you should now's the time you can never go wrong trusting a black woman and now we have a great friend of mine friend of mine she was a friend of mine (laughs) (laughs) tiana mclaurin who is the community outreach coordinator for milwaukee film the black lens program as well as the assistant director of service learning for Marquette University. She's she's doubly awesome in all, all sorts of ways. There's also other things that she's magnificent about too that we'll probably dive into. But thank you so much, Tiana, for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, for having me. I, I appreciate y'all. Awesome. Well, you know, I think it's it's hard to not open up with with yeah. this for the context of our mm-hmm. listeners. And also, I want to mention that I do want to talk about your trips to okay. Ghana. I definitely want to talk okay. about that. But um, so for for those listening, yesterday the um, decision from the grand jury came down that they were only indi- <clears throat> indicting one of the officers in the um, murder of Breonna Taylor. And for a lot of us, we got this news during our work day while we were in work. For me, it was while I was in a Zoom meeting. And so um, how are you today, Tiana, really 24 hours later, um, entering into the space? Um, so I've, I've had to notice my behavior and reactions every time there is a Black death. Like every time, like from all of these years, this, I call it um, the current and consistent, always consistent racial crisis. And whenever in the past, when I've heard of uh, black death at the hands of police, um, I try not to be numb. I'm never surprised, but I try not to be numb, but it comes off as, as, as if I'm numb. Like this is, somehow normalized. It's, it's just like, oh, this is just what happens. Um, I try to busy myself um, with work, but, you know, today it's, it's really hard. 
I also come in the next day, like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Like, I'm kind of discombobulated, basically. Flustered, discombobulated. Um, I, can, I can have a whole list of tasks, and I'm still like, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, so I'm coming into the space, this space right now, just extremely discombobulated. It's like, I mean, there mm-hmm. is, there's just... Like speechless, not surprised, but still very speechless that, um, yes, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what, I, I mean, yeah, I was talking to a friend earlier today and, you know, for her, that is like, this is the straw. Like, if it did not, if the nail wasn't in the coffin right now, then it is about how America feels about black life. It is right now with this case. Like it's just plain and simple. There's there's nothing more that you can possibly convince me of. And so now it's like, well, how do I still harness joy? How 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 do I still harness um, imagination? What would that look like in this current context? All of those things that you know I will start thinking about. You know what's um interesting for me is that as a black man, you always like you always want to let the process and you know the system to correct itself. Like you you give yourself space and opportunity for that to happen and to like be a little bit hopeful, but you never you never actually feel like you're gonna win. <laughs> So that's why, like, the continual just George Floyd, Jacob Blake, like, all this stuff makes us numb because it's almost like we're, this is normal for us. I think people who are not Black don't understand that this is normal, and it shouldn't be normal, but it's like an everyday sort of understanding still that, like, it's just not going to work for us. And it's like you know, like this can be changed, right? Like you do know laws can be mm-hmm. changed. So if if it's the fact or, you know, we have all of this proof, scientific proof, evidence that grand juries do not indict police officers, like, can we imagine a different way? <laughs> like, you know, this stuff yeah. can change, right? But you don't want to change it. So that's, that's like salt on the wound right now. Like, no, but the system is not just like, we know that, right? It's, it's for me, this is a very, like, very, very small example because the complete extreme is people sleep and waking up to gunshots in their home. (laughs) But I know like in Milwaukee, Black men usually have to dress in a business casual or semi-professional way of dressing to go to get into a club and spend their money, right? Like I I tell people I gotta dress like Carlton Banks to spend my money in an establishment. And when I go in wearing an, a baseball cap and some tennis shoes, 
it's almost like the person in front is like, I'm not a racist person. This sign that says all these rules, no t-shirts, no tennis shoes, no hats, no looking like a black person. Basically. There's like, oh, it's just a sign and I'm just a lonely man and I can't do anything about this sign. This sign is so overly powerful. But that's how it feels. And it's like, fam, like that sign is racist and it's lame. And now you can't get my money. It's really weird. But like policy, policy is what punks stand behind when things are wrong and they act powerless to that. And I'm disappointed that in a city sometimes where they talk about how progressive the history was of Milwaukee. Progressive for who? Not progressive for me and mine. <laughs> it's been the same jawjacking <laughs> this whole time. And I don't know. I'm tired too though. Like I'm tired. Like I'm I gotta something gotta change or else imagine Canada. <laughs> Imagine Toronto. Imagine Ghana. Imagine go. Ghana. <laughs> it just needs to go. This whole system just it literally needs to go. Yeah. It's not I think my I think my mind keeps trying keeps trying to connect like where at what point can black people stop just surviving these horrific generational things, right? That you know have 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 followed us beginning with slavery like generation you know as i'm i'm sitting and we're listening i'm listening to us talk i'm thinking about all of the things that our parents told us we needed to be successful i'm thinking about all the things their parents told them they needed to be successful all these these tools right it's the t-shirt to get into the club it's the you know button up to get into the club and all of these things and we've done that i think if any generation has done that successfully it is absolutely ours because we are three generations of these rules that our grandparents and ancestors have been telling us and now we have all of these opportunities to access it and we're still dying in the streets and not just dying in the streets but we're dying in the streets on camera in broad daylight and people can see all of the vantage points as to how it's happening and i think for me i have an extreme exhaustion of trying to survive a, the predominant culture the right culture, which is white culture, right? So taking it out of this context of white people, white culture is the dominant culture. And that is where all of this is like bred into, right? And so I'm just like, how, when do I get to thrive? I don't know who I was talking to. It was a black person in this space, in the spaces that we're in. And they were like, that's why I started my own company because I couldn't survive in these other spaces. I needed to create um, a safe space. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate us being able to start off talking about something that that is very present. Um, me as a black woman, every time I have a moment over the past 24 hours, I feel like I'm going to break down and cry or I just feel really sick to my stomach because there's a mommy out there who lost her baby, you know, who can count it down to the second, right, that her baby has been gone and like, not only can we not bring her back, but we can't hold the murderers and the thieves who stole her life accountable. And as like, and I'm not immune to that. 
somebody come if the police get the wrong apartment number and come that into my happen. apartment right now that could happen and that's a shame like that right. that and that's, that's just, that can happen that there's a possibility we created an environment where it's a whole bunch of possibilities that any minute thing that we do can get us killed and while folks will or don't do or don't do or don't do and while folks will mourn us i put this on facebook yesterday i know if i pass if i am murdered if my life is stolen people will mourn me but who will ensure that the people who took my life go to jail if they're not black if they're in a position of power who will enforce that and it seems a shame that we are still saying black lives matter because it just it shouldn't we shouldn't have to say that right and when i think about how black women's lives seem to matter even less i think about slavery i think about how much the black woman had to endure you know raising her master's children and all of that and like how we have been bred to be this to wear the to be the brunt of whatever and it just kind of grin and take it which I think is an interesting segue because you have been to Africa twice. So I want to know now you've had this experience of being living in America as an American, as a black woman American. What was your experience like going to Ghana and what took you to Ghana? Okay. So um, from 2006 to 2011, so for five years, I was a Peace Corps volunteer and Peace Corps, that's a whole nother conversation. But I got to Africa. Um, I so I lived you. in Ghana. I lived in two different communities. <laughs> I lived in two different communities. Um, and I was a health, water and sanitation volunteer. So I did a lot of hygiene education, reproductive health education, maternal and child health, youth programming, all of that. And um, when I went, there was a group of us, and it was about maybe 20, 30. And of that 20 and 30, only two of us were Black. And uh, when I got there, you know, we go through a very intense training. It's almost like three months of training, and that's language and technical skills, too. So just imagine you are in a very new environment. Uh, it's extremely hot. You are living with another family um all the things that you used to do you just don't do so you're kind of acclimating to a neighborhood a, a community basically and a new country and you are sitting <laughs> learning language four hours a day six days a week and technical knowledge four hours a day six days a week um, and then learning more about the culture every friday for almost eight hours so um, it was intense. It was intense, but I loved it. And to be in the majority, like for real, for real, to be in the majority, like see black everywhere, to see the whole spectrum of, of black people um, was just was just beautiful. Uh, there were a couple of occasions where I would be in the town where I live and it was uh, the town uh, is named Hohoi and it's in the Volta region of Ghana. And it's where um, a lot of Awe people are populated there. And so Ghana has a whole bunch of different languages. Tree is, is one of the languages that are dominant, but English is the 
is the the language um but anyway it's very hard it's very hard to learn um but there were two instances where i was in town and people would come up to me and like start talking full-on eve and i would catch on to some of it but then once they noticed like I, I wasn't really understanding all the way they were like you really look like one of my schoolmates like you really look like somebody i know and it was the same for myself like there was there are many people who are like oh that looked like my uncle jesse that looked like my other cousin that person looks like my other cousin um so i mean it was just a beautiful feeling um i met a lot of black people who were born in america who were expats uh, in ghana there's a whole association african-american association of ghana that lived there um, when I was in Ghana, that was where I um, joined a Pan-African organization and started doing more reading and studying. Um, I developed excellent lifelong friendships that are that are um, real today. Like some of the youth that I worked with, they are now older adults and we still keep in contact. Um, so it was just a much needed experience to be back home and Af for me Africa is home that's 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 where it is um so I came back and it was a bit of a of course a culture shock but um for the most part you know I came back wanting to like okay well how can I get back over there again so I came back you know started working and then went back to visit in 2016 um and then also just was there earlier this year um, from December to January and was able to kind of reconnect. I was there actually on a study abroad trip um, out of the University of Maryland College Park. And so Africa's home, it was down to the food, the people, Ghana, Ghanaians, mm -hmm. Ghanaians really pride themselves on being hospitable, a peaceful country. Um, so everything like, yes, different. So people will say, oh, I want to go to Africa. I want to go to Ghana. I'm like, well, it depends on the type of experience you want to have. If you want to have, um, you know, if you want all of the things that you normally have here, um, sure, you can stay in five-star hotels. There's a Holiday Inn. There's like, you know, really nice upscale, really upscale hotels there. Um, or you can um, stay at local guest houses and, you know, support, you know, local folks. Um, and so it's just, just a variety of different things of, of what you want to have, what you want the, what, what you want your experience to be. And I didn't feel like I was lacking anything. The only thing that I really missed was like family. So when you talk about food, like, yes, the food is different. Um, but can you still get burgers, fries and pizza and chicken? Sure. Um, so you can get all of those things. Um, and so for me, it's, it's, it literally is home. And with all of what's happening right now, don't think for not one second that I have not thought about saying chucking up the deuces because that's a big thing. Like to not, like I won't be killed because I'm black. Like, I mean, I won't, I don't have to worry about a police officer harassing me because I'm black. Like that's a real thing over there. And that's what a lot of people who 
repatriate back to Africa, they like bunk all of this. Like we ain't, I ain't got time for all of that. And you know, I don't have any children, but you know, I was saying to myself, if I were to have children, I would not want to raise them in the U.S. No, thank you. That's no, 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 thank you. Um, but that's a real, that's a real thing. And so, I, I mean, the experience is indescribable. Like I said, it's home. Africa is home. Point blank, period. Ma'am. And so it's, it's interesting for me because I'm always like, I find myself, well, first of all, I, I want to take a sabbatical in three years and I want to take a year off. And so, um, I, I, you know, I got somebody's son that I'm talking to. And I'm like, um, <laughs> you know, and so, <laughs> so I told him, I was like, look, so in three years, I'm looking to spend a year out of the country. And so I've already started looking at a lot of those expat groups um, on Facebook and trying to figure out like, you know, how do I save the income? How am I making income? I'm starting to ask those types of questions. And you're right, there's a ton of Americans in all over the country that are like, nah, I'm gonna I'm a chuck up the deuces. I think um, for me, the other part that always gets me about like Africa is I always feel like, I feel like a deep longing. And like, my mom doesn't understand it, but I'm like, mom, I wanna get as close to pos as possible to knowing what tribe I came from. So like for my African friends or my First Nations friends or like my homegirl who's Hmong, right? Like all of those oral traditions continue. But for me, I feel there are moments where I feel like culturally and ethnically like a stepchild because slavery separated me from, a, from that history from the ability to to find my likeness in other people mm -hmm. in Africa, because yeah, I just don't know where to start. When I was there, I, <laughs> I had to, I had a discussion with a lot of my friends there. Of So in Ghana, there's this word called Obruni. And Obruni, depending on who you ask, could mean different things. For one person may say it means, oh, a white person. And then another person may say, oh, it just means foreigner. Like, it's nothing. But I said to myself, so when was the word created? Oh, when the foreigners started coming over? And when did, who was the foreigners that were white people? Okay, let, don't call me O'Bruni. Or um, some of my friends would say white. I said, if you call me white, that is the, the greatest, one of the greatest insults that you can call a black person in America. And them not knowing why or understanding the racial tension that's going on in America right now. And so, yes, slavery happened, but you know, what, what happened afterwards? And so on one hand, you have this um, image that people have of America, milk and honey, gold, all this other, all these other things. But then like this very clear racial tensions that some Ghanaians don't know about um, or you know, aren't well versed in um, as, as we are. So that kind of dichotomy, but I will also tell them because I've also had people walk up to me and be like, oh, you forgot the language. And I'm just like, oh, oh yes, I did. I don't even know what my language <laughs> is. And I was just like, because of that, you know, separation. And, you know, when I, before I left, I mean, when I was growing up, a pro-black, still pro-black 
Africa, you know, medallion, all these other things. And it's like a longing. It's, it's a straight up longing. Like we wear the clothes, you know, the dashiki and that dashiki is a straight up, I mean, Ghanaians call it dashiki because I think we call it dashiki, but I mean, it's not like, so it's just those things of wanting to, to have some type of longing or connection. Um, but also what's interesting is that how many of us are, you know, get connected to our brothers and sisters that are over here. Um, and, you know, how do we also bridge that gap over here? Because America ain't the most welcoming place at all. Um, just, just the other day, a couple weeks ago, I met a family who um, the daughter, they are refugees. They are originally from the Congo by way of Rwanda. And uh, one of the daughters, she's here and she's trying to apply to, to college. She came here in 2017, like still navigating culture, language, all that other stuff. And now we're in the age of a health pandemic. And so who, Real. who helped, like who, like she don't know the process. And, you know, it's not like we're the most patient people either. So all of those things, oh, real. all of those things. But so, yes, a very much a longing of wanting to be connected um, is very real. Man. I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> it's like I can go. We could talk about COVID and that kid's experience and how, you know what I mean? We could go into that. We could go into your return back. We can go into the return back. Which you is, want to go into the return back? Sure, we can go into into the return back. So I came back. Um, I did a another miracle program. So before I left, I must give Public Allies a shout out. Public Allies Milwaukee, class of 06. Um, doing Public Allies before I left for the Peace Corps was excellent. It was amazing. I loved the experience. So I came back in 2011. I did my second AmeriCorps program, Local Initiative Support Corporation. I was at Walnut Way, the Healthy Community Neighborhood Coordinator. That was dope, organizing, um, convening organizations for us to think about how to make sure neighbors in Lindsay Heights um, had access to different health-related resources. Then after that, uh, after a year, I got into my the, in, the higher education industry. And so was an admissions counselor for Mount Mary University. And now I am here at Marquette going into my seventh year doing community engagement work, which is its own interesting thing. Um, Boy, ain't it. <laughs> it. It is. It is. It is. And so manage, helping to maintain relationships with over 90 community organizations, um, working with student staff and then also um, connecting students to opportunities to assist in the local Milwaukee community. That is what takes up most of my time. But the passion, I'm passionate about my work here. I do like what I do. Also passionate about uh, the Milwaukee film work too, uh, being able to work with uh, Black Lens and Infuse Arts and uh, plan discussions and film programming, all of that stuff. Excited about. And 
before we hop into that, because I think that that's perfect, I just want to shout out a black woman with multiple streams of revenue. Can we just give it up for a black woman? Gang, 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 gang. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's do that. You know, like now I feel like we got to have a conversation. Like, all right, how many of them streams is passive, sis? Because we not need to start talking passive income so that you can make money when you go back to a job. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. These are the type of conversations <laughs> yes. I want to be having. Um. So let's talk a little bit about how, for you, how how does all of this work tie together? So Black Milwaukee Film, the work at Marquette, what's the thing that ties it all together? That is a good question. I think the thing that ties it all together is me, my constant desire to make sure people have access and that they know about these different things of what's going on. And so when I think about um, Marquette and their community engagement practices, you know, I'm, I'm always wanting let organizations know like, yeah, do you want, do you want assistance from college students? Like service learning is, is a way, is one avenue to do that. Um, but then also letting people know about programming like Black Lens. Like, I love the arts. I absolutely love the arts and how we are, um, like, that's our jam. Like, we, we're just the bomb at it. Take any art, painting, visual arts, theater, dance, whatever. Um, all of that stuff comes from, from us. And so being able to um, create spaces where people can talk about films, have access to um, Black Lens programming. It's just very important. So the, the connector of all is make sure people have access and that they know. Like a lot of people just don't know. As I was listening to you talk about the different things, I, I was reminded of um, a line from um, the great poet and philosopher, maybe you guys have heard of him, Juvenile. The song "Ha," making nothing. Juvenile. We we are the people and culture of making something out of nothing. Like um, that. It like that again. Um, for good or bad. Like we are. That is a part of our legacy. From from the first step we took on American soil making good out of really, really not great situations. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the work that, that you guys are doing over at uh, Milwaukee Film via Black Lens is, is super important. Um, yeah, I'm gonna kick it over to Antoine because I know he had a question. Oh, I wanted to say one thing that I, because I've had uh, service learners with Ty before. Mm -hmm. And I think what it does is it, she highlights black leaders. <laughs> <laughs> she highlights black leaders she she gives us an opportunity to shine in front of people who may not have noticed us on their way through upper education so yes um, i thought that was really really cool because like even now like i don't talk to like i talk to a few still like, I think one went to South Korea and is like living her best life. Um, but 
I did think that when they left, they said like, dang, okay, it is black leader. It is like strong, intelligent, wise and strategic people of color out here making moves with titles and and, and that's and, the thing like a lot of Marquette students don't understand and so I'm like one you're not gonna go you are not about to work in Milwaukee community with this deficit lens don't even do it we're not mm -hmm. gonna do that and so any moment that I can pay somebody to come on campus to talk to lead something or whatever I am. I'm just going to do it uh, because y'all are not about to um, add to like this narrative about um, black and brown communities in Milwaukee. Y'all not about to do that. So if, if I can help it, nah. So yes, like that connecting resources, access, all of that stuff. So that goes that goes right into really like black lens and talking about the black voice in the in the film realm. And could you got could you explain to our listeners what exactly is black lens? So black lens um, is a cultural pillar of Milwaukee film. It was founded by Gerard Blanks and Dr. Dante McFadden um, for the purposes of exclusively showcasing films from Black directors and producers. And so what makes Black Lens very distinct is that in order to be in the Black Lens film series, especially during the, the film festival, is the, the director producer has to be Black. Um, and it is a way to center the narratives of, of the Black experience because you have a lot of people writing, <laughs> directing films about the Black experience who aren't Black. Um, and so it just showcasing a wide array of all of these different filmmakers, producers that are out there um, providing these different narratives and experiences and for Black people. And so it's a cultural pillar um, of Milwaukee film. Yes. And it's like everything has went through a little bit of a change this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. I everything like is everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> I feel like First everything. Virtual. But um but still providing like different programming. And so within Milwaukee Film right now um is the cultures and communities program, which is like the umbrella. And so under that we have Cine San Fronteras a genre career, Black Lens, and then also the Community Festivals program. And so we, today is the last day for the Minority Health Film Festival pre presented by Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin. Uh, that started September 10th. Um, that was great. That was virtual. And then the Milwaukee Film Festival is going to be October 15th through the 29th. Um, and so the ebbs and flows that this health pandemic has um, has created um, has definitely impacted, I think, all of the arts organizations, especially within Milwaukee. And I think they're um, doing the best that they can, um, but still also presenting quality programming too, even though it's virtual. Has any of 
have the pieces themselves went to a more like COVID related themes or are these mostly pre COVID pieces that are showcased? Um, I don't think it's not, I don't think it's related to anything COVID. So um, Milwaukee film does film programming, Black Lens does film programming and that's, that's basically what Black Lens does. Um, and so it's even, it's just going to be virtual this year and the Minority Health Film Festival is virtual, but it also allowed an opportunity to do a whole bunch of discussions that we possibly mm -hmm. wouldn't have been able to do if everything was in person because you're flying people in, um, you know, money costs and everything like that. And so I think this has opened up a wide array of opportunities, one, to get people more connected now across the country right nice. so across the country because now you could just tune in to uh, a social media page and see live streamed um discussions about all of these different films and with the film directors and whatnot and so i think because of you know the health pandemic you have to pivot and that was a that was a wonderful opportunity to do actually more Oof. that's a lot yes that's a lot you also we also um together we started working in abani just a little bit and um and i think it it was headed that way but i think uh covid changed a lot of things but yeah. i do want to tell people this quick little story okay so um because Tiana and I go back, we go to cohort eight of yes. ALP. Yes. And um, we've always just tried to continue working with each other after that. And um, in the Black Lens, I've been a part of it for maybe, what, two years, three most. Um, and just looking for ways to continue to be involved. Um, I was working with some young people in the Imani neighborhood who were really interested in showing movie nights. Um, so we hosted a movie night uh, last fall and um, it was very well attended. And what was really awesome was that the young people like really took ownership. So they made like passes and only people with passes could get inside nice. and they had a concession stand. Hey. Like, like they went all in. And I was like, man, that's that's really cool to see. And so I linked them to Tiana and we started to talk about ways that um, Black Lens could work with these young people. And although it, it we were looking for it to culminate in like some sort of a mini film festival where the young people um, planned and curated their own uh that could still happen, but yeah. Yeah, we, it could still happen. I think uh, we, the young people, they really want to do it in person. They really want to do it in person. But um, it was cool to see how, how in Ty was and how like, she was like, as long as these young people down and they will come to the meetings and do what they are supposed to do, I'm cool. And um, man, it was just a great, it's still going to happen. It may yes. happen 2021, yes. 
so that um, that's a good see sometimes I forget things so yes one of a program that I started with black lens it's called souls of young folk and um, it is a play in words so W Du Bois the boys uh, souls of black folk um, so souls of young folk to really again create a splay, space give a platform for young people to talk about what it means black youth black and brown youth to talk about what it means to be a black and brown young person in America um, and using film to do that. And so we're going on our third year uh, of that. And so last year was great. It was excellent. So what happened, we met with the youth beforehand to just try to prepare uh, for the forum. Um, the forum happened during the Milwaukee Film Festival. Usually there's a film attached to it just to, to center and, and kind of spark conversation. Mm -hmm. Last year, we didn't have one, but the conversation was excellent. We were able to meet with the youth beforehand, do a couple of workshops on art and activism and film, mm -hmm. um, how to really uh, talk about a film, analyze a film, what it's like being on a panel, all of those type of things. And it was great. Uh, the first year, it was also great too, a uh, great discussion. Um, and now the third year will be in virtual format and I'm working with a couple of organizations to figure out what that will look like. Um, but again, an opportunity one, access. A lot of probably black youth don't know about uh, Milwaukee Film, let alone Black Lens. And so, you know, what can we do to again, create a space, provide a platform uh, for them to talk about what they wanna talk about and connect that with the arts film in particular. You out here, man, it's just impressive. Black excellence at its finest, you know? Black. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. And you know, I don't think I'll be doing nothing, but it's. Oh, no, you do. Well, earlier, you know, I didn't want to let this moment get away. Antoine actually gave you flowers. And it reminded me of the conversation that we had, Antoine, in our last episode with um, Commissioner Kowalik around why it's important for black leaders to make room at the table and how she didn't in her travels she's just now starting to see more black folk who are in positions of power making sure that the door is open for other folks and it, it sounds like that's what you're doing through your work with service learning at at marquette and so i just wanted to make sure that we said like Antoine was giving you flowers, sis. And so I want you to be able to take that in. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm always trying to bring, like, I'm, I, I try to be very observant. Um, the only reason why I still have social media pages is because I, I want to be observant and, and see, like, what's happening um, and just stay connected that way. But at any moment, if I could bring in somebody, listen it's, mm -hmm. it's a wrap like i'm doing it like yep they can do it they can do it they can do it i'm more of a behind the scenes type of person but at any way that i can help organize some type of connection uh let people know about some resources or kind of what's going on i'm all the way there yeah that oh it made me think about alp real quick and the culture there and I think um, we went through cohort eight 
And in that experience, like you get to, you go to Thel Messiah's house and you get to, you know, rub elbows with people that you may not have in your normal work. Mm -hmm. um, and it helps you build a cohort. Cause we had what about at least 15 members of the cohort from various roles, whether it was banking, education, nonprofit, like communications, like De Denise Thomas went through ALP and afterwards came out the effective communication oh, coach full time and hit the ground and, and hit the ground running. You know what I mean? She, she running. Man, and um, and I also think it builds like a a it's it's starting to build that camaraderie in that group of people who, even though you haven't went through the same cohorts, you still have a positive like eye on each other. Because like I still check in on a lot of the people who were in our cohort, mm -hmm. and um. And it's cool to see that everyone's growing and doing a thing. And if you need someone, you like, it's created a new space where your network is, is growing and it's growing with black leaders. Yes. And I think as that grows, um, some of the stuff that Dr. Kowalik talked about, hopefully will start to improve. Mm -hmm. And Dr. But, uh, Kowalik is dope. I remember mm -hmm. um, when she was doing some work over in the Lindsay Heights neighborhood, but she actually interviewed me for a job at Boys and Girls Club when I was ending my AmeriCorps experience. I didn't take it, but it was just great. I mean, she's the woman. I'm sad that she's leaving. Um, trust Black women. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, trust Black women. We got, I, again, in another meeting, one of my homies sent me a text message, like, yo, and sent me the link to her press conference and I'm in a meeting with other black women and we we were just like we were just stunned like it's incredible how again women like her and chief of staff Lillian Payne and women like you and Dr. Monique Liston and we can go on and on and on and on Denise Thomas who's a mentor of mine right like how your y'all's being makes me feel seen and how important um, that representation is okay. I got two questions here. Y'all talk okay. about AALP, which yeah. Antoine has been telling me I need to get into a cohort. Yep. Um, I want to, I, I got a question about AALP, but before I do that, I am curious about advice for Black filmmakers here in Milwaukee. We let's say we have Black filmmakers here in, in the city, right? And this is a real question who are like one day i want my film shown through black lens right let let's say that that's that's the goal oftentimes we don't really have the outlets or the pathway right i think i think part of it is you have this dream but you don't know the pathway to get there right and and the quality of films that you y'all show um a lot of them really are cultural juggernauts right um what are what what are type what are learnings what are types of things that our black filmmakers in the city should be investing in right to develop their craft so that that can be a dream realized um that is a good question and 
I am going to encourage y'all to also schedule a podcast with the founders too, either mm. Dr. Dante McFadden or Gerard Blanks um, to talk more about it. But based on my personal experience um, with Milwaukee Film and just diving a little bit more into kind of the film world and how things work, um, I would say take advantage of any type of master classes, um, anything of that nature. I think, you know, there's a process, um, you know, Milwaukee Film, they have their, you know, film festival and it's, it's like a whole process. Um, you know, sometimes local filmmakers, their films are screened in a different program. Mm -hmm. And so I think the mm -hmm. misconception is that, oh, um, just because I'm black, I'm from Milwaukee, is going to be shown in Black Lens. And that's, I would, I can't, yeah, that's not the case at all. Um, and so like this year, there is a film that that is going to be screened by a local, I'm not going to, not going to give out that's I'm just letting you know that I'm not gonna say too much I'm saying too much now <laughs> um, but it's just exclusive depends. yes yes <laughs> it, it literally just depends so I would say um to take advantage of any type of master classes um any type of enrichment things just to develop your craft even more any networking uh opportunities I would say get in where you fit in when the film festival is back in person. Um, what's, what I like about Milwaukee Film Festival is that you have directors and producers that are so close, like they're not whisked away once they do some type of program. Like they're literally right there and like up close and personal. And that's super dope because um, there are other film festivals where that doesn't happen like that. It doesn't. Once they do an event, they're whisked away and then that's it. Um, so that's, that's the main point. I say with, with anything, you know, just to develop your craft and to network and, um, you know, submit, just submit the film, um, and see. Um, but there is a misconception that because I'm a black filmmaker, because I'm from Milwaukee, of course, black lens will pick. And that's not the case at all. It's good to know that there's a maybe a different spot that they should be looking at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so when films are submitted, there's a whole team of people that go through, like watch the films, um, and they, you know, kind of talk amongst themselves to figure out where to place it, like what type of tag should be kind of with that film. Um, and so, you know, the Cream City, uh, screenings and programs like that like local local folks and sometimes you know milwaukee film would say like oh let's screen this film here you know rather than here type of deal so it's a whole i wouldn't say science but you know it's a whole process whole process behind that and so in thinking about going back to aalp that's african-american leadership uh is it what's the piece program program i thought it was program, program. Okay. so both of you, and so this is this is a question for you two, Antoine. Both of you have been in spaces where, um, let's say you've been in non-Black professional spaces where you had to navigate networking there, maybe a little bit of code switching there, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> so what is it? What what makes from y'all personal and professional standpoint? What makes AALP so important, so vital, so special um, for us, for y'all? What what was that? Man, it's so many things, right? So many things. It's, um, I would say the, the coaching. Sandra, get your life right. Like the professional coaching that normally would cost a couple thousand dollars. Like you have um, a professional coach that has coached for, you know, people who are CEOs of companies, Fortune 5. Fortune 100, top 100, Fortune 500 companies. Who dresses um, like Diana Ross. Who dresses like Diana Ross, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, 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 that, it's that aspect of it. Um, it's all black. Who doesn't want to be in a space with all black people? Um, and then the, uh, the, the keen focus on you figuring out what your values are and charting and, and starting a path so that you can do the work that you are, that you feel your purpose or called to do. Um, just to, to the, the self-awareness part. Um, so, so most, some of the time, let me speak for myself. Sometimes I don't give myself space to really do the inside internal reflection type of work. And ALP is a whole program where you do that. For me, mm -hmm. it was. It was a whole program where I was forced to like, oh, well, oh, values. Oh, I didn't really hmm, create my own like statement, personal like goal statement, mission statement. Huh? Never thought to do <laughs> any of that. Yeah. I agree. I never, I never thought about that either. And what was pretty crazy was like. I got my mission statement pretty quickly. I got all that stuff in that one pretty quickly. And it was like, really? And I was like, oh no, I know exactly. Uh, like boom, boom, boom. But I, I also think that like that coaching, it it really helps you. She, like Sandy Brown is her name and making you a better black leader is her game. And like, <laughs> She, you, you should tell, you should call Janine and tell her that. Yes, for real. <laughs> like, because uh, I remember she challenged me. She she said that my hat, she challenged me that is your hat like Linus's blanket? Mm. Can you can you go out there? And I was like, I wear hats for different reasons. I can go without a hat. And so she was like, I challenge you to go two weeks without a hat. And I went two weeks without a hat. It wasn't no big deal. And I put it back on because I can take the hat off. I just like, I like the hat. And your it's, brand. Yeah, yeah. And I like how like, I look sometimes like a hood dude, like, and sitting in these tables. I forgot my camera was, I forgot my camera was eyes, open. Girl, the but swag that, is, that, I, that Hood is not is not a word I might use as a I, I wouldn't use it either. I would use swagnificent. Swagnificent. Yes. You better come through. Swagnificent. Yes. 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 <laughs> Swagnificent. Swagnificent. I would 
<laughs> okay. So some things about Ty that you did not know. One, oh, she's an OG stepper. <laughs> she is a stepper. Uh, <laughs> and she will dance you under a rug if you want that smoke. Two is that Aww. she's a doula. And then she gets them in the service learning. So, so you know, those <laughs> hands <laughs> have delivered precious life. And then she gets them in the service learning. That's exactly. <laughs> Put them to work. <laughs> show, show them good black movies. Teach them right. <laughs> good black movies, yes. Yes. Okay, those were my fun facts. Was there anything else I forgot that's really awesome that you would like to share? I'm sorry. I'm just laughing about thinking about me giving birth to a baby and her whispering to the baby, I'll see you in 18 years, and then her coming back. And being like, <laughs> I'll see you in 18 years, baby. Come see me at the university. <laughs> so, Ty, who are some of your... um? Favorite Milwaukee-based artists? Ooh. Favorite Milwaukee-based artists. And that can be in any, that could be singers, that could be mm. performers, artists, um, sculptors. Malkia, Stanley Johnson, and Chike Johnson. When I tell you, I, I love... I love them. I love their acting. Anytime they are performing at any type of theater or directing something at any theater, I do my best um, to support. Like I, I absolutely, absolutely love um, the work that they do and the work that they are doing um, in Milwaukee right now. Um, I would say um, the local Chicago style steppers in Milwaukee. Hey. Change the name. Um, like that's an art in itself. Dance mm -hmm. is is amazing how that tradition of urban dancing, black dancing, um, has continues to to thrive. Um, also, uh, Damar Walker um, with Kothi, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. he's just amazing. The work that that he's doing. Um, Amar and Soroma, visual artists, all, you know, just, it's just amazing. It's just a whole bunch of people that, that I'm very grateful for and their, um, and the contributions that they're making through their art. It's just dope. Man. So I've got, I got two things I want to mention. One is in my mind, I would love to step but I took butterflies line dancing class mm. with my sister some years ago. And it's a Jamie Foxx song. I don't need it. And so my sister, so I went to King. My sister went to School of the Arts. Her major is dance. And so my sister is um, she's a counter. And one and two and turn and turn. And so I was already getting irritated. But on Jamie Foxx's I don't need it, that line dance, it just moved like y'all be spinning for no reason. And I was just like, I'm done. I'm about to sit down, <laughs> like, count your girl out, cash me. <laughs> so on my bucket list, though, is to learn how to step. So when it's safe outside, I'm coming to see you, Ty. 
I'm coming. When I say I love Chicago yeah. style stepping. I absolutely love it. I'm sick with it now because it's COVID <laughs> and not able to do it. So I'm doing the eight count all up up and down my house. Well, yes, girl. I'm, yes. I'm coming because I I need to learn how to step in a non-judgmental safe space. Oh, yes. Damar. Um, so I just seen Damar at Qdoba two days ago. And he was working. And I was like, is this your co-working space? Is this is this your like little secret dugout? I've never in the history of ever seen anybody work at Qdoba. Like laptop open working yes. so when you see Demar and he so and he mentioned um Antoine he was like I want to be on y'all little podcast and I'm like okay we you on our list we want you on it so Tayana next time you can just ask him is he still working out of Qdoba um, <laughs> okay I actually have to contact him um I'm hoping to get in contact with him about something else uh, this week just hit him so, like I can meet you at your office at Qdoba right <laughs> 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 You know, like you seen Kanita. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, I like Qdoba though. I prefer it over Chipotle. Really? And it's it's because of that uh that that bowl thing. That bowl thing is a game changer. That little bread bowl. Little oh. Tortilla bowl. Okay. They queso dip is fire. Like. Mucho fire. Mucho fire. Like. <laughs> I don't see how people rocking with Chipotle. Like. Really. <laughs> Who, who's eating that? I mean, they have cauliflower rice now, Chipotle. Cauliflower rice. I can't twist and my plant-based meat. I can't twist or my plant-based. Because I just ate a bowl of cauliflower rice. But if I'm going to Qdoba, I'm not going to eat healthy. <laughs> I'm going to turn up. I'm going to turn up. Give me all the chips. Give me two. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh. the lady behind me, she don't want her chips. Give them to me. Give them to me. I want them. Man. <laughs> I get all the queso, so I'll be like, let me get that four cheese queso, then let me get that parmesan, then let me get some of that little cojito cheese. Ooh. I want it. I, I get a six cheese. It'd be, man. You are obviously man. a Wisconsin boy. Yes. We love our cheese. Yes. But, I, but I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about that. I I binge ate on some tacos and a baby burrito bowl yesterday from Qdoba. I was just like, I need to, Jesus, I don't know how to process. You said Jesus, I don't know how to guess. <laughs> tacos and Krispy Kremes. That's, and water. And water. And water. water. <laughs> oh, before we go, like more flowers for Tayana. I just, wanted, I just wanted to say, like, through this Zoom lighting, your skin looks like you moisturized, okay. like you minding your business, you drinking all your yes. water, like Dr. Mo said. So we just, Dr. Mo, listen, you are glowing. I see your dimples popping. Look at you. <laughs> y'all awesome. better gas a black woman up. Yes, hey. thank you. I appreciate y'all. Hey, that's what it's all about. That's why yeah. we come to Black Imagination. Yep. 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 <laughs> exactly. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Tiana, for thank joining you. us today. And thank you. Um, thank you guys for listening to Black Imagination. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Yes. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Black Imagination with Antoine and Kanita. 
Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE podcast. Be sure to rate us five stars, share a positive review. It really helps people find us. Also, be sure to email us at pod at imaginemke. Don't forget to like us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under imagine underscore MKE. Anything else you'd like to mention, Kanita? You can also find us on Facebook at Imagine MKE. So, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you on the next show. All right. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.